Well, good morning, everyone. I want to thank our uh, sponsors this morning, the Reichenberg family, in honor of Alana and Naomi's graduation. Mazel tov on the graduation. Should have a lot of nachas. Okay. We are continuing. Last week we uh, started, we read a section from the Piazetzna Rebbe of Kalanamis Kaman Shapiro's Tzav Viziruz. Tzav Viziruz, as I introduced last week, is the Piazetzna Rebbe's spiritual diary. It's not his diary of uh, what he did that day, how he feels about his classmates, or the, you know, that he didn't make the sports team, or whatever. It's a diary. Tzav Vizir is a spiritual diary. It, it follows his relationship with Hashem. In it, he shares his heartfelt uh, depth, the depth of his relationship with Hashem. Um, I mentioned last week a new book that came out, but I didn't tell you the title. It's Dr. Henry Abramson, who used to live here in South Florida. Now he's in New York. He's one of the deans of Turo. And it's called Torah from the Years of Wrath, the Historical Context of the Eish Kodesh. Wow. I mentioned last week that the Eish Kodesh are the sermons from the Warsaw Ghetto that the Pesach Rebbe delivered. And they were hid in the Oynik um, Shabbos archives, were recovered in the 1950s and published. They were republished, and what he did is took each sermon and gave the historical context of exactly what was going on in the ghetto and in the area around the time that that sermon was given. Very, very powerful. It's a wonderful book, a great contribution, and I highly recommend it. So last week we read an entry in Saba Zeros, um, and I want to read a second entry. It's not a continuation of what we began last week. It's an altogether separate entry, but it's a model of what we've been talking about and preaching about, and the, and the Rebbe in his diary is essentially modeling for us a possibility that we can all have in our lives. And it's a possibility of another form of davening to Hashem. When we think of davening to Hashem, we think of the Siddur. We think of the Madbeya of Tefillah, the format, the template of davening. It begins with Birchas HaShachar, Psuke de Zimra, and Birchas Kriya Shema, Shema, the Amida, Tachnan, Asher Yivalatzion, Aleinu, the Shir That's the formula. It's like a curve. You build up, the Amida is the pinnacle, and then you come down. The build-up is, before you can have a conversation with Hashem, you have to know Hashem. So when we wake up in the morning, overnight we've forgotten who we are, who He is, and the comparison, the contrast between us. So we spend time. We spend time. The Gemara says, Chasidim Rishonim HaYishom Achas, that the early pious people would spend a whole hour meditating and reflecting and introspecting in order to gain a sense of perspective so that they could have a meaningful conversation with Hashem. And that's what... Our Psuke de Zimra is modeled after. We don't spend an hour. We don't spend half an hour. We don't spend... Some spend half a minute. But the Psuke de Zimra is modeled after the notion of you can't just get up. You can't wake up. You're totally disoriented. You totally haven't started your day. You're totally figuring out who you are and clearing the crust from your eyes. You're not going to stand up and all of a sudden have a conversation with the Almighty, the King of Kings, the Creator, the Omnipotent, Omniscient One. You need to build up to it. How do you build up to it? Psuke de Zimra. Psuke de Zimra are psukim. Zimra is zomer, is to prune. They're verses that prune. We cut away the exterior in order to be able to blossom, in order to be able to grow. In fact, I'll just say, tell you something connected to yesterday's daf. We begin the psuke de Zimra. Bar Amar is the bracha, so to say, I'm psuke de Zimra. Every mitzvah has a bracha that you say before you do the mitzvah. There's a bracha before you take the little vanessa, a bracha before the shofar, a bracha before you light candles, a bracha before the tefillin. So the bracha, though, that we say before Pesuk Zimra is an unusual bracha. It's not a bracha like a classic birchas ha-mitzvah, shekirishanu v'mitzvah God, you commanded us to now recite Pesuk Zimra. Instead, how does the bracha begin? Baruch she'amar v'ayah ha'olam. Baruch she'amar v'ayah Where does that come from? Why don't we say a classic birchas ha-mitzvah? Why don't we say a bracha on Pesuk Zimra? 
So it comes from yesterday's daf. I'm not going to ask how many people here. Yechevet, Handy learns yesterday's daf. <laughs> so yesterday's daf in, in uh, Zvachim, daf Memhei, the Gemara there says that the, when a person brings a korban, when a person would offer a sacrifice, there are six separate but parallel kavanos, six intentions that a person has to maintain while they offer the sacrifice. It's hard for us to think about one thing at a time, let alone six. But here are the six things you have to think about. And among them, two are, you have to think, Lashem, that what you're doing is a carbon for Hashem. You're not just barbecuing meat because you're hungry for a barbecue. You're not offering a sacrifice because you like the aroma. You're doing it because it's a mitzvah. You're doing it to draw you close to Hashem. As our first writes, the word korban is karov. The result, the consequence, the goal of a korban is to draw close, to feel connected to Hashem. Then, another one is reach. The Pasuk says that the korban, the sacrifice is reach. Reach means you want it to produce a pleasant aroma. Nichoach. What does the word nichoach mean? Nichoach means satisfying, satisfaction. What does it mean that you're concentrating that the korban be satisfying? So here the Gemara in Zohar, that yesterday's Daf Yomi says, Nichoach nachas ruach lashem. You have to have kavana that what you're doing is giving Hashem nachas ruach. It's an amazing, I, I loved yesterday's Gemara. It's an amazing idea. Not just that you're doing what you're doing because it's right. Not just what you're doing what you're doing because Hashem wants you to. But you're doing it with the intent that you want to give Hashem nachas. I met with a bat mitzvah girl last night. Baruch Hashem, we have a lot of bar and bat mitzvahs. I meet with all these students, which is like going on a lot of really bad dates, where you ask a lot of questions, <laughs> and they sit and barely give you an answer, and don't ask any questions back. But anyway, they're adorable young kids, and Baruch Hashem, you know. This is Hashem's punishment to me, because Yecheva was basically the only girl I dated, so now I have to go on all these bad dates. So it's like, it should be a kapara. So anyway, so I was, telling, I was telling this young, wonderful girl yesterday, this concept of giving Hashem nachas, and I said to her, I said, you know, I'm 43 years old, and among the greatest pleasures in my life today is a delicious steak with a glass of wine, is a beautiful davening, but among the greatest pleasures in my life today is giving my parents nachas. 43, you could be 70, 80, 90 years old, and if your parents are still alive, and you've done something that they tell you they got nachas, they're proud of you, there's a geschmack, there's a feeling, it's an amazing feeling. It doesn't just happen when you're eight or nine years old and you bring home a yellow tov or a smiley face on your test. It doesn't just happen in your 20s in college when you, when you make the honor roll. It happens whatever stage of life you're at. If you know you're giving your parent nachas, that's a great feeling. So if that's true for a biological human parent, a basar vadam, all the more so it's true. We were pre-programmed, the human psyche, that when we give nachas to Hashem, when we give Him pleasure, when we feel that we've given Him nachas ruach, it's the greatest feeling that there is. It's the greatest feeling there is to give Hashem nachas ruach. And that, says the Mishnah in Zvachim, is part of the condition of the korban. Meaning, you have not fulfilled the korban. Even if you did it for a mitzvah, not a barbecue. Even if you did it for Hashem, not to compete with your neighbor. But if you didn't do it with the intent that, you know what? I want to give nachas to Hashem, to my father. I want him to get nachas from me. You haven't fulfilled the mitzvah. It's nachas. The Gemara then says, so, reach nichoach lashem. Reach should produce a pleasant aroma. Nichoach to give nachas ruach. Lashem. What do we learn from Lashem? That you have to think about who do I want to give the nachas to? Misha Amar Vahayah Olam. I want to give nachas to Hashem. And who was Hashem? The one who spoke and through his word created the world. And by the way, for many generations and many years, like close to 6,000 or billions, depending on your perspective, people didn't understand this 
With ten ma'amaros, Hashem created the world. With ten sayings, God created the world. We begin every day. Baruch she'amar la'ayolam. Blessed is Hashem who spoke and created the world. The world came into being. How does something come about through spoken word? But our generation understands it. Because you say, Alexa, turn on the light. You tell your car, your car, call home. Turn on the radio. Turn on the blinker. We live in a generation of voice recognition that can speak and we create things. Soon the construction workers will sit on the side and they'll say, Alexa, build the building. Driverless car. Car, take me to my destination. Robotic surgery. Robot, remove the gallbladder. Baruch she'amar v'aya olam. So, bless you, Shai. Long before Alexa and us, the Rebona Shalom had that capacity. He spoke, and the world came into being. So, Reach, Nichawach, give nachas ruach to Hashem. Lashem, who's Hashem? She'amar v'ayolam, the one who spoke, and the world came into being. So I saw a commentary on the daf yesterday who says, that's why we begin Psuke de Zimra, Baruch she'amar v'ayolam. Because we don't have karbanos, we don't have sacrifices today. What takes the place of sacrifices today? Davening takes the place. What is the avoda, the service, the sacrifice of the heart? Zutfila. Today, we don't offer sacrifices. We do davening. What's the kavana to have when I begin my davening? It should be nichawach. I want to give nachas to Hashem from this conversation. I want Hashem to enjoy His time with me. I want to say thank you and please and admire Him and ask for things from Him. A parent also gets pleasure from being asked. Shy, don't touch it, buddy. Don't touch it, buddy. Don't touch it, buddy. A parent also gets pleasure. I thought you weren't touching it. A parent also gets pleasure from being asked from their child, knowing their child relies and depends and wants them. They also get pleasure from that. So we should have kavan at the beginning of our davening. Nachas ruach, we're giving Hashem nachas. But what's the kavan al Hashem? Baruch she'amar Who are we directing all of this to? So that's why it's not a classic birchas mitzvah. It's not a regular bracha you do on a mitzvah because this is about honing in our kavana. It's about paralleling the six kavanas when you bring a sacrifice. The, the equivalent of the sacrifice today, the avoda of today is our davening. So we begin it, baruch shamar vayolam. So we make the mistake of thinking that davening is from the sitter. When do I daven? When I grab a sitter. When I grab a tehillim, that's davening. But that's not davening. That's a concession. That's our rabbis realizing that, you know what? If we don't create a template and a text and an obligation, you're not going to do it. Really, the mandate to daven every day, which is the machlokas Rambam and Ramban, Maimonides and Nachmanides, are you biblically obligated to daven every single day? Must you daven every day? It's a debate. Do you have to daven every day? One says, yes, you have to daven every day. The other says, no, you only have to daven be'est tzara. The biblical obligation to daven is... When you're going through a hardship, when you hit a road, a bump in the road, when you're going through a crisis, that's when you have. Rabbi Salavechik said, they're not really arguing. They both agree. One says you have to daven every day, and the other says when you have a tzara, they agree. It's just, they both agree you have to daven when you have a tzara. Just the other one is formulating it. You can't be alive and get through one day without having a tzara. You know, every single moment of every single day, you run into a, some major, some insignificant and negligible, but there's a tzara. So you have to daven every day. So really, how do you fulfill davening? By talking to Hashem from your heart. Having a conversation with the Almighty, filling Him in, asking for things, praising Him, thanking Him that everything worked out. It's having a conversation with Hashem. That's real davening. But the rabbis understood that, you know, 
People get caught up in their lives. They're distracted. It's hard to have the focus to disconnect in order to connect to Hashem. So you know what? We're going to institute davening. Three times a day, we'll give a sitter, we'll give a text, we'll give an obligation. And that way, the person will, will do it. But that's really the concession. That's really not the ideal. That's just to make sure we do it. The other beautiful benefit of it is that we are connecting with Jews all around the world. We are, we are transcending time and transcending space. When I take my sitter and I dab in my Amida, I'm saying the same words my great, 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 great grandfather said. And I'm also saying the same words that my great, 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 great grandchildren are going to say. And that binds me with past, present, and future. I'm saying the same words in Boca, as I said when I was in Yerushalayim, as those in South Africa and South America and Australia and across Europe and anywhere in the world are saying. So the sitter has this incredible capacity to bind us together and allow us, enable us to transcend time and space, but it's a concession. It's not the best tefillah. The ideal tefillah is what we say from our heart. It's our conversation. It's one of the words of davening. Sha'aram b'tefillah has 13 synonyms for prayer. One of them is sicha. What's sicha? Sicha is a conversation. A sicha is a conversation. The highest form of davening is a conversation with Hashem. Now what stops us from having that conversation? the doubt that someone's actually listening, right? If you knew someone was listening, you ever talking on the phone and you're rambling and rambling and telling the story and then this happened and happened, I can't believe it, what you had, and then like an hour in you go, are you still there? <laughs> you realize like, is, that, is anyone listening? Sometimes that I'm on the listening end of that, so I'll just throw in every now and then, oh, yeah, uh, uh, just make some noise so that they don't have to say, are you still there, right? So when we, when we talk to Hashem from our heart, sometimes we're wondering like, Hello, are you still there? Is anyone listening? Is anyone listening? Why am I bothering? Is anyone listening? It speaks to the level of doubt or uncertainty we have. Is there Hashem? Does He care? Is He really listening? That's not just our doubt. That begins in this week's parsha. In this week's parsha, it says, Hashem." The people were complainers, misonanim. I mentioned yesterday in the parsha class, they weren't just legitimate, reasonable tempered people who had a complaint, misonanim is hitpael, reflexive. They transformed themselves into a bunch of fabisana miserable complainers. That the Torah and I have no tolerance for. <laughs> to be a reasonable person who has constructive criticism, welcome it, bring it, there's merit to it, we'll learn from it, we'll change, we'll grow. Everyone, no one's perfect and we all need feedback. Institutionally, personally, we all need it. That's a reasonable person who's genuinely happy, offering a legitimate and balanced complaint. But misonanim means they had transformed themselves into a group of complainers. I spoke about the Pasha class yesterday. The people who are not happy unless they're unhappy. Early on in my rabbinate, I drove myself crazy. That's why I lost my hair and turned gray, trying to make the miserable people happy. Until I realized, stop trying to make them happy by solving their complaint. You're making them unhappy. They have to find a new complaint. They're only happy when they have a complaint. Listen, smile, and complain with them. Yeah, it's terrible. The exile, the toilet paper, the pace of the davening, the shul, me, lie. It's terrible. You're right, it's terrible. When a person is a miserable, fabisana complainer, that means they're not happy unless they're complaining. So stop trying to solve their complaint. You're making them miserable. You want to make them happy, let them complain. But that's what Moshe had no, no, no tolerance for. When someone's reasonable and has reasonable complaints, solve the complaint because they generally want to be happy with you. What was their complaint? What were they miserable about? What happened? Misonanim ra be'aznei Hashem. 
they were complaining because now all of a sudden here we're going to describe in Hashem's ears. Hashem doesn't really have ears. It's an anthropomorphism. But why are we using that anthropomorphism here? All of a sudden we wake up and describe Hashem as having ears. So the Chassam Sofer, Moshe Sofer says, you know what the problem was? You know what their problem was? They didn't believe Hashem was listening. They believed there was a God. And they believed God saw and heard and knew everything going on in their lives. They even believed in Hashkacha Pratis, divine providence, that God was involved in their lives. But they didn't believe that they could influence God. The complaint was, nobody's listening. So what does the Torah say? How does God react? Vayishma Hashem. God says, I'm listening. I'm listening. I hear. I don't just influence you. I'm influenced by you. I don't just call the shots. I want to. I welcome. I invite. I want you to talk to me. Because in the end of the day, it's about a relationship. That's the goal. That's the purpose. That's why He created us. And that's how He created us. That the greatest pleasure we can get is a relationship with Him. So we too are like the Misonanim. Not a bunch of Abyssinah complainers, hopefully. <laughs> but... We sometimes think, you know, what am I going to look like a moron? I'm driving the car and talking out loud to God. Is he listening? This is insane. What am, I, what am I, crazy? Talking to myself, talking out loud? But you're crazy if you don't talk to him. You have an invitation from the King of Kings. He says, ask me anything you want. Talk to me. Tell me what's going on in your life. Confide in me. Lean on me. I'm here. And he's not just the best friend you could have. He's not just the best spouse you could have. He's not just the best doctor, the best lawyer you could have. He's the best anything you could have. And he says, I'm giving you time. You ever have access to somebody who's very powerful, very influential, very busy, very famous? And they say, I have, I have five minutes for you. But you have 20 minutes. The doctor comes in, the clock's already ticking. You're on the clock. Hashem says, I have all the time you want. I invite, talk to me, tell me. There's no rush. No, nobody's telling you you got two minutes left or I've got to go, I've got another meeting, I've got someone else who wants to talk to me. The Ribbono Shalom says, I'm here and I have all the time in the world, talk to me. So you're not crazy if you talk to Hashem. You're crazy if you don't talk to Hashem. You're crazy if you don't develop that relationship. The Amida and all the davening, it's all there, the Amida, the actual part we talk to Hashem, it's a platform to insert our own conversation. Either during davening, we've spoken about that every bracha, you add your own tefillah, or outside, when you're, when you're grateful. But it takes mindfulness. You have to remember to do it. I was in New York on Sunday, at a levaya and a wedding and a dinner. And then I flew back. I knew I had to fly back on, on Monday morning. Baruch Hashem, we had a bris and a bar mitzvah. So a lot of life cycle in 24 hours. Almost bat for the cycle. Did we? Bris, bar mitzvah, wedding, levaya, dinner. Dinner is part of the Jewish life cycle? I don't know. It's like, a, it's like going to another Leviah. But anyway, no, chas v'shal. So, so the only way I was going to make it back was I had to take the 6 o'clock flight. So there's actually, I found a website when I was trying to book this all and see if I could manage it and stay over and make it back for the Brisbane Bar Mitzvah. I, I Googled, there's a website where you can track the history of a particular flight. If you want to know, does that always take off early, on time? Does it normally land late, on time? Because if you want to make, get a sense of, does it make sense, am I going to make it? So the flight showed probably 80% of the time it landed on time or early. First flight of the day, they're always motivated to get out. It gets, starts the whole day for them. It's the easiest one for them to get out on time. There's no delay for it. So it almost always took off on time and it often or almost always landed early. But 20% of the time it landed late. Probably weather-related, mechanical-related. Looked like it was going to land on... I wake up 4 o'clock in the morning to make this flight. I look and it says, even though it's taking off on time, because of the weather, 
It's going to land late. I'm like, oh boy. I really want, it's Rabbi Zion, it's one of our, our staff members. I want, I want to make it back for the bris. So again, the plane and the pilot announced because of the weather, we're going to land late. And I let a little davening to Hashem, said Hashem. Like, you know, a little kvitsa saderach, like a little gust of wind, make it happen. Right? And I'm tracking on Shepelu, I'm tracking the flight the whole time. Not only did we land early, we landed earlier than they normally earlier land. And I got in the car and I was early to the bris and the bar mitzvah, I had to wait around for the bris to start. Baruch Hashem. So it took me a while, I will admit, till I was driving later in the day when I realized I forgot to thank Hashem. It's rude. There I was saying, please, please, please. I really feel like Hashem made the whole plane go faster for me because I wanted that big old locks. And Baruch Hashem, Hashem manipulated nature to allow the plane to go early. It was unbelievable. And I forgot to say thank you. It's rude. So I didn't say thank you in Davin. I was driving later. I had a whole conversation with him. Thank you. Everything worked out. That was really amazing. What happened? Thank you so much. It, we're mindless. Either we're Rabbi Aznei Hashem. We don't really believe he's listening. Because someone did you a huge favor, you wouldn't forget to say thank you unless you don't really believe he did you the favor or he's there or he knows who you are or he cares about you. So we too suffer from that Rabbi Aznei Hashem. We struggle. We hesitate to take that leap and believe there is a Hashem and, and he's answering us. He doesn't, sometimes the answer is no and even then you have to have a conversation. It may not be thank you, maybe other words, but even then you're showing him you believe in him by having a conversation. So all this is by way of introduction to say that Hashem wants us to have a conversation with him. So that we get to the Piazetzna, the Helega Piazetzna Rebbe Zatzal Hashem Yikom Damo of Kalanimus Kalman Shapira. And let's, because I'm already late and took up most of the time, let's do it in the English. You have on one side the Hebrew, Tzav Vizirus. We're reading towards the end of Ozdalad. Every entry has a number. Again, you can get it online. I think it's out of print, so as Hensha found, you can only buy like used copies for like $75. But it's, uh, it's fantastic. So it's in the back of, it's in the back of Hachsharas Avrechem. Here's the Hebrew. Or you can buy To Heal the Soul, the Spiritual Journey of a Hasidic Rebbe, the Piazetzna Rebbe of Kalanimus Kalman Shapiro. So let's read it in the English. And what the Rebbe is doing here is he's endorsed this notion of his bodidus, his boninus and his bodidus which means being contemplative and, and finding time alone. Right? In, the, in the extreme form, and I'm looking forward to doing this in, in Montana this summer, but in the extreme form, it's going into the forest by yourself, finding some place in nature where you connect, deep, breathe deeply. I hope Rabbi Elie Malach Goldberg everyone went to his breath break seminar and learned how to breathe deeply and center themselves and quiet the noise and quiet their own stress and their own body. Breathe deep. Turn your phone off. Find a place in nature. We have the ocean. That's all we have. We don't have any hill other than a dump off the turnpike. Or don't go there. That's not a good place. Or, but find a place that, that, that's nature. You're connected to nature. You're connected to Hashem. And have a conversation. By the way, that place could be your kitchen. It could be while driving the car. Back from carpool. It's, and talk to Hashem. Talk to Hashem. How do you do it? Writes the Rebbe. Seclude yourself in a quiet place. Get as far as you can from distraction. Relax any tension in your body. Quiet all the noise in your mind. Right? Long before mindfulness and meditation, which are the code and catchwords of the 21st century. Mm-hmm. Long before Time Magazine put on the cover, mindfulness, the Piazetzna Rebbe in the early 20th century is writing, relax the tension in your body. If you've ever done yoga, ice melting into water, Relax the muscles you never even knew you had in your cheekbones. And, uh, and relax the tension in your body and quiet all the noise in your mind. Then envision yourself standing before Hashem. There you are, mortal creature, beseeching the infinite one. 
Pour out your heart. Speak out your soul. Tell him what's on your mind. Without inhibitions, in whatever language, say whatever comes to your mind. Have a conversation with your closest friend. If you've never before practiced such intimate expression before Hashem, I'll give you an example. The goal is to empty out your soul in meditative prayer and return to its Father's love. This must come from your own heart, so my words are only a guideline. Right? Says the Rebbe, the whole idea of this is that it's personal. It's individual. You're not reading someone else's script. That's what we do with davening. Anshei Knesset HaGedola, what the Amita said, here are 13 universal needs. Knowledge, health, wealth, justice, redemption. Go through the Amida. These are 13, the middle section of requests. These are 13 universal needs everyone has. So they gave us a template. They said, work with the template. But now you've got to fill in the template from your heart. You've got to fill it in. Otherwise, it's not going to get you somewhere. We're dealing with yesterday, the ORB. There's uh, somebody who gave us, they have an app for how to, how to um, manage your clients within Kashras. So they gave us like a 40-page proposal. So one of our hesitations was, we looked at it and we said, it's a template proposal. They basically wrote, find and replace the other kashas with the ORB the next time. And it's like unimpressive. They didn't taper a proposal for us. They just gave us a template proposal. All they did is on the cover page, they used whiteout for whatever, the OU, and wrote ORB. So right away you're like, this doesn't get me excited because they didn't care enough to make this personal, to understand who we are and our needs and personalize this to us. They just took a template and delivered a template that they used white out on the cover. So if all you do is daven from the Amid, the sitter, you just delivered Hashem a template. All you did is give him a template. Maybe you used white out and you said, Hashem, it's me on the cover. Here's my template, Shemona Esrei. Here it is. Hashem says, that, that doesn't really do much for our relationship. That doesn't really make me feel very personal. I get a gazillion emails a day, often from organizations, rabbis, people needing things. The first thing I look at is, was I written to me or was I BCC'd? Did it start out, dear Rabbi Goldberg? Did it start out, dear friends? Hmm. If it didn't say Rabbi Goldberg, delete. If I'm BCC'd, almost always delete. Maybe I'm missing out on good things by that. I hope nobody's listening who's going to learn the right way to do it. Just keep BCC'ing me. But delete. Because if it's not written to me, this is a generic email. You got out of the, some list of the rabbis all over the planet and you send some generic email, delete. If you care enough to write me an email, I'll look at it. So when you send the Kush Baruch Hu an email, that's just, you know, BCC, template email. You got to make it personal. It's got to be from your heart because he knows everything about you. Believe me, you can't get away with hiding anything. You can't get away with a template. He knows that he just made the plane go faster so you'd land early so everything worked out for you. And you're not going to say thank you. You're not going to reflect on that or how everything has worked out. Just say, thank you for everything working out. That was extraordinary. It really all worked out well. Baruch Hashem. Hashem. Thank you for everything. So my words... Thank you, Yochebet. Thank you. So my words are only a guideline. So he says the following. Hashem, from the depths of my soul I call out to you. Creator of my very existence. My body, my spirit, my soul, they are yours. I have no intrinsic existence. My yearning is great. Can't you see to be pure of spirit and heart? Oh, that you will... Oh, that your will would I sense, your wisdom would I ponder, and your voice would I hear in my heart. But alas, this is not. My heart mourns inside my soul, so muddled and confused. I sense only the sensual and desire the impure, and my inner voice no longer transmits your will. Instead, there inside is the voice of my own will to those whose demands I am at beck and call. And even when I try to rise in protest to expel all the unwanted will, I only can clean out my conscious thoughts. The unconscious remain in my soul." Right? Not everyone here is a poet like the Piazetz Nareba. I mean, this is magnificent. When he goes into the forest and takes deep breaths and relaxes his cheek muscles and connects to Hashem, he, he speaks to Hashem in poetry and prose. It's magnificent. 
So not all of us can in that way. But if you dissect it down, he's being very human. He's saying, Hashem, I have very human desires. And I wish that my desires were your desires. And oh, if I could replace my will with your will. But alas, even when my conscious will, I can condition to be your will. My subconscious will still has a temptation for things that are inconsistent and don't conform to what you want. And oh, Hashem, I wish it were different and I need your help. Right? That's the poetry version. Let me give you like the human version. Hashem, I really want to look at that stuff on the internet. I know you don't want me to. Hashem, I really want to share the gossip. I know you don't want me to. It's hard for me. And even when I control it, I know in my subconscious I still want it. And help me overcome that Yetzirah because every day is a struggle. That's the more, less poetic version of it. But that's what he's getting at. And that's what we can get at. You think Hashem doesn't know that you struggle with Lashon Hara or with being honest or with looking at that thing on the internet or with how you dress or how you speak or where you go or what you do or davening. He knows it all. When you confess to him or confide in him, like, you're not blowing your cover. He knows it all. So all you're doing is being more real to him and having greater merit. Hashem, pure one, source of all purity. How I just fall apart by the thought. If one wishes to clean his house and his garden, he will remove all unwanted things. But when I clean out myself so that my soul shines before you, I just place my waste out of my sight, deep inside my soul and where my conscious mind cannot see it. It's magnificent, right? When you clean out your house, you take your garbage to the curb and you get rid of it altogether. When we clean out our garbage, we really still want it. So we don't actually clean it out. We just set it to the side. Or if you speak the language of let's say Apple computers, you delete things, but how often do you empty that trash? Why don't you empty the trash? Because you're really nervous. What is something in it you're going to need? So you delete emails, but how often do you empty the deleted folder? Because what if there's something in the deleted folder that someday you're going to want to retrieve? So we in our own lives, empty, we, we put things in the trash, we press delete on that experience, on that memory, on that image, on that desire but we don't really empty the trash because we really don't want to entirely purge ourselves or disconnect from it, says the Piazetz Nerebbe. I feel so filthy because of the sewage that putrefies in the depths of my soul. My soul bursts at the seams because of this load that floods forth at most inopportune times. Even now, God, as I speak to you, thoughts of, specify, are knocking at my mind. It's only with your help that I can restrain the urge to act out these inner voices. But how bitter I feel that my soul is so soiled by these drives that express themselves in various ways of life. Please, Hashem, have mercy and purify my soul. Root out those weeds from my soul. Remove all those urges that make me stray from you so that they do not come to haunt me in old age. Especially when I feel intimate with you, when learning your Torah, when talking to you. Let my soul rise right up before you, purified by having fulfilled your will. Let my soul soar, fueled by my yearning to surrender completely to you. Now again, this is an incredibly high level. I'm not suggesting that our own Hisbonidus that our conversation, our conversation is help the flight land on time. Help me earn my parnasa. Help so-and-so who I love, who's suffering, have health and well-being. Help my marriage, help my children who's struggling, nachas. Help my shy who's homesick but who's graduating tonight, be well enough to graduate. Very real. Right? The Piazetzna is incredibly lofty. My soul and it's blemished and the residual and remove it so I'm pure and that's amazing. I'm not saying it's so easy and it is the, it's, it's attainable or accessible or realistic, relatable for us. But what I wanted to share with you today is this notion that the real davening, the most authentic davening, is not the one from the sitter. Do the one from the sitter. We're obligated in the one from the sitter. That's not the most authentic version. The most authentic version is not the BCC or the CC. It's the one directed directly to Hashem. Confide in Hashem. Talk to Hashem. Lean on Hashem. Rely on Hashem. Thank Hashem. Be angry. 
protest Hashem. I say this all the time. I mentioned it last week. The woman who I gave a license to be angry at Hashem. He took someone from you so precious. You're so hurt. You're such pain. You're such anguish. I went to the Levaya on Sunday of Rav Asher Weiss's wife. She was a young woman. She had cancer for 10 years. And, uh, and Rav Asher is one of the Gedoli Ador. He got up and he said, it's the first time in his life that he ever rose to speak and he can't find the words to say. He's a Gedoli Ador. He knows Kola Torah Kula. He's an incredible Tamil Chacham and an amazing orator. And he rose up to talk about his wife and both the one he gave in New York and then the Levaya in Israel, which I didn't learn, but I understand. He wasn't the Gedoli Ador when he gave that hesped. He was a husband. He talked about his wife in very human terms. But I, he's, he's a very strong and very stoic person. When I spent a moment with him before the Levaya, and you saw the tears in his eyes, and we just, as the halacha demands, sat silently because there is nothing to say. Ain isha mesa ela Because the, the most painful experience of loss is from a spouse. So, um, so you saw that he was, he was in incredible pain. It was incredible, incredible anguish on his own. It was very human. It was very real. Where was I going? Why was I saying that? Nobody here knows, including me, where I was going with that. Oh, I know where I was going with that. So I'm not suggesting that he was protesting to Hashem. I'm thinking about the other person who experienced that loss. When a person loses someone so precious, there's nothing wrong with turning to Hashem respectfully, not heretically, respectfully, and saying, Hashem, how could you do this to me? I know you're a good God, I know you're a loving God, I know you're a kind God, and I know that everything is for the best. I don't understand how this is for the best. Now that's after the fact, it's not going to bring your loved one back, but while someone's sick, while someone's suffering, Hashem wants us to protest. He's inviting us to object and say, how could you make this person I love, I care about, who's so good and so kind, what's going on? Are you doing it to get my attention? Well, you got my attention, our attention, the community's attention. Because one of the B'nai Chabura, when someone from the B'nai Chabura is suffering, the whole Chabura is suffering. When someone from the community is suffering, the whole community is suffering. And the whole community says to Hashem, we protest. We protest. Give it another look. We think this is the wrong conclusion. Check again. Our protest should be a merit for that person. We are changed in their merit. You've drawn our attention in their merit. So give them a new decree. Protesting. So the form of very personal davening is not... You know, Hashem wants you to say, you're the greatest and I love you and you're perfect and everything's amazing. Hashem doesn't have an ego. He doesn't need our praise. He wants a relationship. And a relationship is one where there's real conversation and dialogue. And real conversation and dialogue is not everything's always amazing and hunky-dory. Unless you're Rabbi Kasorla, then everything is amazing. <laughs> unless you're Rabbi Kasorla, things are not always amazing. So, and he really thinks they are. He's unbelievable. He's unbelievable. Halavai. We should, we should get to that level. So he wants us to protest because it shows how very real and authentic we are. Talk to Hashem. This is a template. Put this in your car, in your pocketbook, in your wallet, whether you want to use his words or find your own. But even, by the way, just begin with that paragraph. Seclude yourself in a quiet place. Get as far as you can from distraction. Relax the tension in your body. Quiet the noise in your mind. Take a deep breath and talk to Hashem. That's what davening. Don't be rubbed as ne Hashem. Don't be like the misonim of our parsha who deny that Hashem is listening. Not only is he listening, he is inviting, he's eager. And we're not crazy if we talk to God. We're crazy if we don't. Have a great day.